0: Welcome to Call to War 2016 video briefing. I am Bishop Chester Wright of Antioch the Apostolic Church in Arnold, Maryland, and uh, I want to present to you today some things that the the Lord is wanting to say to us as a church, to the church, whatever name is on. That church, whatever he, but whatever part of the church you're in that he claims, this is the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to the church. This will be our sixth call to war. The original call to war was not even called call to war. Bishop uh, Steve Willoughby, who was the apostle of the Singapore church, Uh, invited me to come to Singapore in March of 2011 to do a manifest meeting. And uh, it was obvious after a couple of days of the meeting to both myself and those men of God who were gathered there that the Lord was doing something different. And we understood that the meeting was about spiritual warfare. The Lord spoke to me to change a meeting that we had been having in November of uh, 20 in November of various years here in Annapolis, uh, he spoke to me to change that meeting to uh, a call to war, and that the first one was in 2011. We've done five, 11, 12, 13, and 14, and 15, and all of them have been teaching sessions. All of them have been training. The scripture says. Uh, he teacheth my hands to war. And so those five seminars were times of teaching and training. But the Lord is wanting to do something different now. A lot of people don't understand or even maybe agree with the concept of spiritual warfare. But let's, let, let's just for a moment here, let's just look at exactly what is uh, spiritual warfare. To do that, we have to f- acknowledge what the church is. And to n- acknowledge what the church is, we have to acknowledge who and what God is. Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 24, God is a spirit. He is not natural. He is supernatural. The church is his body. And therefore, if he is supernatural, the true church is a supernatural body. It is not a, an organization. It is not an institution. It is a supernatural living body. The first time Jesus ever mentioned the church was in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, when he said to Peter, Thou art Peter upon this rock, uh, I will build my church, or I shall build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Unto thee I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. From the very first mention of the word, uh, of church in all of the Bible, which is Matthew chapter 16 verse 18, Jesus made it very clear that his body was going to be in conflict in the earth. The church is not called to be in conflict with humans. The church is not called to be in conflict with other religions. The church is not called to be in conflict with governments or any other institution of man. The church is prophesied to be in conflict with the the supernatural powers that exist. The Bible says that God is light. That makes light animate, not inanimate. If light is animate because God is light, then darkness is also animate, not inanimate. Darkness is not a condition. Darkness is uh, a situation or a state that exists because animate beings are attempting to block out light, thus trying to produce darkness. That's why The, the Lord speaking to Paul on the road to Damascus, according to Paul's account in Acts 26, Jesus said to Paul that he was called to deliver people from the power, from the power of darkness into light and from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. This was Paul the Apostle's call by Jesus Christ. Paul, the Lord told Paul from the beginning that his ministry was going to be a ministry of conflict. Again, not conflict with humans, not conflict with religions or governments, whatever, it, but conflict with supernatural beings who are opposing all that is called God, all that God stands for. Thus, Paul summarized this in, in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, and he says, Speaking of the church, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and wicked spirits in the heavenly places. The, the, are they, are the atmosphere of the earth. The, this, there is a supernatural atmosphere that exists in the earth. God is supernatural and the powers that oppose him are also supernatural. He is infinite and unlimited. Their role in the earth is not. They have a limited amount of time, and they know, according to the Scripture, that their time is short, and they are opposing all that is called God. If the church, the true church, if the church attempts to do what it's called to do in any way, shape, or form without acknowledging or addressing the opposition in the spirit world by these, these animate beings that are trying to produce and maintain the condition of darkness in the, in the world on people's minds and hearts and spirits, then the church will never fulfill its call, its commission. Cannot be done. The Bible prophesied that Abraham would have two types of seed. This is said in Genesis 12, of course, and Genesis 22 and other places. The Lord prophesied to Abraham that he would have, he would have offspring as the sand of the seashore and he would have offspring as the stars of heaven. And it is a fairly commonly held and one that I, a position that I also hold. And that is that the promises of God to Israel naturally can and should be applied to the church supernaturally. God promised Israel a promised land. It was a physical land, a temporal land, a place you can locate with a GPS system. But God promises the church a spiritual dominion, a spiritual place, a spiritual place in the kingdom, a spiritual impact, a spiritual opportunity to have a role and a place in the earth. I think it's pretty uh, commonly accepted, and if you're not accepting it, I'm, I hope you get all the sand out of your ears and eyes when you finally pull your head out of the sand. But it's pretty commonly acknowledged the church is having Virtually a minimal amount of effect on our world today. In fact, everything going on in the world today seems to be intended to drive the church either underground or in the closet or some other place of irrelevancy where we become marginalized and we are of no consequence in the earth. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Jesus taught us. That's not the position from which we're supposed to operate. That's not what the prophecies of the word of God says about the church. Some are waiting for the rapture of the church to to get the church out of here before there's none of us left. Well, I, I'm really sorry if that's your view of the Word of God and your, your view of what the, what, what, what you're looking for and what you're expecting. It isn't my view and I would be happy to have a discussion with you from Scripture on that because that's not the case. We are not leaving here a defeated church. He's coming after a glorious church. He's coming after a glorious church. Glory Uh, in in many contexts, in the scriptures used of of what happens uh, to a victorious people. The condition that exists after a people have been victorious. We are not, the church of the living God is not leaving this earth, a bunch of defeated people looking for some rescue to get us out of here before there's none of us left. That is not what the scripture teaches. The apostle John said it this way. He that Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. How can a people who are filled with one greater than anything and everything that's in this world be a defeated people? Simple. The reason the church can be a defeated people is that the church doesn't war. So therefore, it acquiesces. It surrenders. Denial is the same thing as defeat. If I deny there's a conflict... It's because I'm already accepting being neutralized. Or as the scripture says, a prisoner of war. That's the the translation of the Greek word that talks about captives. It's prisoner of war. I am not going to be a prisoner of war. I refuse to be a prisoner of war. I'd rather be a martyr than a prisoner of war. I would rather give myself, shed my blood in, in praise and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ than to be a defeated church. And I'm not going to be a part of a defeated church. The purpose of this, uh, this, uh, briefing is to discuss what God has spoken to me specifically uh, and, and and as audacious as it sounds to my own ears, as uh, improbable as it sounds to my ears and maybe yours, uh, I, as I've said many times, I just work here. I, I'm just a messenger. It's not my message. And I, it, I didn't originate this. So all I can do is do what he says do and whatever happens because of that is between is is his it's his doing it's up to him it's not up to me so uh, i want to share with you today the the uh, the plan that the lord has spoken to me for the church uh to go to war uh the call to war 2016 is uh, scheduled to be october 24 through 28 i was uh, i was praying uh Early in the morning on March the 29th of this year, I was praying the things the Lord gave us to pray. And uh, I was praying those things. I was speaking the covering of the authority that's been imparted to me, fulfilling the responsibility as a bishop that has I have been commissioned and ordained to. And by praying and speaking that covering over those that have uh, chosen to submit to this covering of authority spiritually... Uh I I was praying and I was binding and loosing as uh, Jesus taught in Matthew uh, sixteen verse nineteen. And I was uh I was participating in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, If I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. I was participating in the kingdom of God. It was very early in the morning, and there was a tremendous flow of the Spirit of the Lord, and uh and I heard the words solemn assembly. And then I heard the Lord say, call for a solemn assembly. In a few moments time, I was made aware of the fact that he was giving me direction for Call to War 2016. My initial thought was that he just was talking about this meeting here locally and whoever watched it by video, as has been done both live and archived over the years, uh, the last five years or so, uh, it, it, it was just for that. But then he began to expand my understanding. Uh, I, I went to Joel chapter 2 and, uh, and read because this is the place the term solemn assembly is used. And, uh, let me read if I could please. It's Joel chapter 2 beginning with verse 15. Uh, the, the Spirit of the Lord sent the Spirit of the Lord. God initiated this. This was not a man who initiated this. This was God. He used the instrument, the vessel, Joel. But Joel was just a conduit. It wasn't Joel's call. It wasn't Joel's plan. It wasn't Joel's idea. He was just a prophet or a conduit for God to speak. And uh, so God used this conduit named Joel to speak his word, to deliver his message, to send forth his call. It says, <clears throat> Joel 2:15. blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. The Hebrew there is literally called a sanctified or a sacred gathering. Not just people getting together. But a, a a consecrated gathering, a, a gathering for a spiritual purpose that God had called them to. And then the Lord, the Lord began to give specific direction to, for what he wanted done in this, this meeting he was calling. He said, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, Gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Now, let me tell you what he just did there. He just eliminated every excuse for not participating in the meeting he was calling. Well, we just got married. Does it work here? Uh, well, we just had a baby. Does it work here? I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too sick. It doesn't work here. This meeting that the Lord was calling in the Spirit, by the Spirit, was so important. He said, gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and those that suck the breasts. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. And then he gives direction on what he wants done In this assembly. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. And he tells them specifically what he wants to pray. And so I'm reading this the morning of March the 29th. And it says, let them say, spare thy people, O Lord. Now, I was using this iPad, and my uh Bible version allows me to touch on a word and it will bring the strong's definition up and so I did that and i i I looked at the word spare and according to strong's greek def- uh, Hebrew definition of this word, the word literally means cover it means figuratively to show compassion or pity, so the word spare here is is I'm not Debating the validity of the word, but the, but the foundational idea of the word was cover thy people. Cover thy people. The book of Psalms frequently talks about the Lord covering his people, a covering of protection he told the the early church uh, the the apostles who founded the early church in Luke chapter 10 verse 19 he said that they can they went out as he was he sent them to and when, he, when they came back they said even the devils are subject unto us through thy name and and and, and he said some other things then he said uh, behold i give you the king james word is power the greek word is The word for authority. Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and, get this, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So if you have spiritual authority and you're using spiritual authority as your means and the basis of your warfare, he has promised that that same authority that you use... To defeat the foe is the same authority that covers you and protects you from retaliation by that foe, if I'm using authority. Now, there are people who, who do spiritual warfare but they don't do it from a basis of authority. They're not submitted to any spiritual authority. They and you don't have spiritual authority in your life unless there's someone who can tell you no and you have to listen. You, you, people debate that with me all the time. Well, let me tell you something. If that's not the principle, the way of authority is exercised in the church, then the church is the only place in the, uh, the in the entire universe where that principle is not followed. In fact, when the centurion came to Jesus, because his servant was sick, and, and he said to Jesus, heal my servant, and Jesus said, okay, let's go to your house. And the centurion, the Roman army officer, says, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. He said, I'm a man under authority. He didn't say, I have authority. He said, I'm under authority. I say to this one, come, and he comes, to go. another one go, and he goes, to another one do, and he does. And he says, speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. He understood that Jesus was a man of great authority. Even Jesus's enemies acknowledged that he spoke with great authority. So the centurion who was under authority said to Jesus, if you will just speak the word of authority, my my servant will be healed. And Jesus' response to that was, I have not seen so great a faith, no, not in Israel. What What does that mean? That means (laughs) that there were a lot of people in Israel who were not under authority because they had no one that they would listen to. Well, I don't have to listen to anybody. I listen to God. Really? Really? You you want to try to prove that scripturally? Because it's not possible. So therefore... If you are doing spiritual warfare and you're not under authority, then you don't have authority because according to Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and earth belongs to Jesus. That means every policeman, every governmental authority, there is no authority in existence that doesn't belong to God. Now, whether or not they are honorably and and righteously using that authority, they will answer to God for it. But all authority belongs only to God. He, it, it, Jesus said, all power, and the Greek word there is authority in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. All power or authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. It was given to the man Christ Jesus, who was the almighty God, the father of the universe, robed in flesh. All authority belongs to him. So every authority, a husband's authority, a parent's authority, school teacher's authority, policemen's authority, government authorities, authority used in businesses, in the military, and in the church. All authority belongs to God. We have to be faithful with it. But authority is more important than power. A lot of people have power, but they don't have the authority to use that power. Uh, there's one named Lucifer who became Satan. That, that fits him. He has power. He has no right to use it. So when he exercises authority, which is using power, when he has no right to use that authority, then he is in complete violation of God and God's divine order. Well, that's bad enough if Satan's doing that, but if people in the church refuse to be submitted to authority and they're trying to exercise authority, then guess what? There's no covering. It's not God's fault. Excuse the terminology if you get your brains beat out. That's not God's fault. Because he said, Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, if I believe that, Then I have to under, I have to have confidence in this, that my father's in control of everything. And that if my father's in control of everything and I'm in submission to my father and those that my father's put over me, then whatever happens in my life is for my good, for the good of the kingdom, for the good of his purpose, his plan. And he's in control of it. And it's not the devil's idea. It was God's idea and he allowed it for a season not punishment. If you're in submission to authority, then whatever happens in your life is not punishment. It is for your training, for your good, for your growth. Some would say that's a cop out. It's your, if that's the way you want to believe it, that's fine with me. That's not the way I believe it. And, uh, I have great peace with the way I believe it, uh, every day, no matter what's going on. Okay. So The Lord gave them authority, and they used that authority, and there was a covering of that authority. Authority, when submitted to, becomes a covering of protection. And when I submit to authority, then I have authority delegated to me, and then I can use that authority. So I'm praying March morning, March 29th, and uh, and I and I'm praying for the people of God, and I'm binding and loosing as the Spirit of the Lord is leading me, and the Lord leads me to this scripture, and I'm not really sure what this solemn assembly is supposed to be and uh, uh, what it's supposed to be about. And then I read this scripture. Spare that. This is what he tells me to pray. He told them to pray that, and this was the direction he was giving. Spare thy people, O God. And I looked and I saw that literally the Hebrew word meant cover. And I instantly knew that the prayer he was wanting them to pray was a prayer of warfare. So he says, pray this or say this. Spare thy people, O Lord. Give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? We are not God's heritage. We are his sons, his daughters, the church, the true church, whatever the name of that is, is we are his sons and daughters. His heritage is what he has promised to do through his church. What he's going to gain for himself and his kingdom through the church. So, it, it, he says, cover your people or, or pray, pray, pray a covering over your people. Spare your people. Protect your people, oh Lord. Don't allow your promises to be reproached, to be shamed. And Peter said that they were going to say that. Second Peter says they're going to say, where is the promise of his coming since the fathers fell asleep? Everything is continued as it was. What is that statement? It's a statement of reproach. It is a, it is an attempt to shame those that believe saying, you bunch of fools. You bunch of fools. You, you, you're just not even aware of what's going on in the world. You're just not a part of this, you know, wh- whatever, because you're just a bunch of fools because you believe the Lord's coming. So he said, give not by heritage to reproach. Don't let those that believe in you and your promises be shamed because of what you're not doing that you said you would do. Well, there's a problem with that. The Lord's made it very clear from the beginning to the end. He's not fulfilling his promises through people that aren't sold out to him. He's not doing it. The casual churchgoer... Goes to church, praises God, talks in tongues a little bit, pays their ties, lives by the dress code. Is their their opinion? That's what they view it as. You know that this is they, they just pay their dues, they just go through the motions. That <laughs> he's not fulfilling his promises through people like that. The greatest commandment of all is: Hero he is of the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength." if that's the greatest commandment and he's not going to bless the disobedient then how in the world or, and, and or the impenitent because all of us at times struggle with, with fulfilling that commandment but if we are desiring to fulfill fill it and we acknowledge we're not fulfilling it then we... uh we can repent for that, and he will forgive us. But if I'm not even trying to fulfill that, don't even have any desire to fulfill that command, and I'm not repenting of it because I'm not doing anything wrong, he's not blessing them, and he's not fulfilling his promises through them. And so he says, spare thy people, O God. Pray this. Spare thy people, O God. Give not thine heritage or reproach. And, 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 and here's, here's a statement that some are going to have a big-time problem with. The Lord told us to pray that the heathen should not rule over us. Well, nobody's ruling over us. Nobody's ruling over us. What do you mean rule over us? The, the, nobody's ruling over us. Why should we pray that the heathen not rule over us? Okay. Let's look at some ways that we can be ruled over. How about money and resources? How many churches that truly have faith and vision are having a very difficult time even remotely approaching fulfilling that faith and vision because they don't have resources now Malachi made it very clear that the adversary would war against our resources and in Matthew 6 and in Luke 11 where Jesus taught us how to pray he wasn't teaching us some prayer we 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 we, we can just repeat without even thinking about what we're saying. That's not what that prayer was. It was a prayer of warfare. And I don't have the time to go into the details of that. But he told us earlier or later in Matthew 6 that we're not even supposed to ask him for, as his children, we're not even supposed to ask him for food or clothing or shelter because he's our father and he knows what we have need of. Then why would he tell us just a few verses earlier than that that we are to pray, give us this day our daily bread. I'll tell you why. Because the Bible says no man goes to war at his own charges. And the easiest way to defeat a superior army is to cut off its supply lines. Because you cannot fight a war without men and materiel. And Jesus told us to pray every day for protection over our supply of resources so that we can have that which is necessary now, there may be a few religious organizations in this world maybe even a few christian churches that have funds maybe unlimited funds but in my opinion churches that have a lot of money they're not doing, they don't have much vision because if you have a vision to re, to preach the gospel to every creature you're not going to have a bunch of money sitting in an account someplace You're going to put that money to use for the purpose it was given for, and that is to reach the lost. So, the adversary, the God of this world, Jesus said you can't serve two masters, God or mammon. And what was he referring to? The current condition in our world where mammon, that's this world's goods, are controlled by the world and the power behind the world, the kingdom of darkness. So, in order for the promises of God to come to pass, in order for the will of God to be done, there's got to be a day when the resources that are being denied to those that truly love God and truly want the gospel to be preached to all the world and would be faithful with those funds, there's got to be a day when those resources are loosed. But we're currently being ruled over financially. Another way you can rule over someone It's through fear and intimidation. Come on, come on, come on. Is there any honest person listening to this that's going to deny that the average Christian and the average church is trying to lay as low as possible, that we're really careful about every word we say because this world has intimidated us because of fear of repercussion? Of being thought negatively of? The apostles were accused of being those who turned the world upside down. When is the last time the church has ever been accused of turning the world upside down? And we're not being ruled over? You got some sand up your nose. Got some in your ears too. Second of all, another way to rule over someone is by power or force while it may not be in this country and and oh i know that not everybody watching this i pray is uh, the uh, I, I pray that not everybody watching this is americans but here in america let's face facts we christians in america tend to interpret the scripture from a strictly american centered america centered uh perspective so there are no christians in prisons today There are no Christians losing their lives anywhere in the world today. There are no believers who are dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ that are that are being uh, harmed or imprisoned or threatened today. And finally, not last but and certainly not least, uh, government oppression. How many places are there in this world where Christians cannot meet publicly? China, Saudi Arabia, and many other places similar to that, it is against the law for Christians to meet at all. So the church, just because you have freedom in your locale, doesn't mean the church is an experience being ruled on or ruled over. And those of us that have freedom, we have no responsibility to pray for the body, to be delivered that we not be ruled over? Oh God, in Jesus' name, give us, give us a, a a universal church focus so we can see the body is not the body of Christ in our country, that the body of Christ in our country is only a portion, and in some cases a small portion of the body of Christ and the earth. If, if my foot is hurting me and it's just my foot in pain, the rest of my body's aware of it and the rest of my body will, will be careful in what I, what I do to protect that foot or my hand or a toothache or whatever it is that's hurting in my body. My whole body doesn't have to be sick or hurting for my, for the rest of my body to protect it. When is the church finally going to be a body? So he told us in Joel that we were supposed to be praying, spare thy people, O God. Give not thine heritage to reproach. Let not, that the heathen rule, should not rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? (laughs) Is there anyone listening to this who could possibly deny that this is the attitude and spirit of every institution in this world? You Christians, you claim your God is God. Where is He? Let me tell you something. I was thinking about this the other day. There were 450 prophets of Baal. There was one Elijah. 450 prophets of Baal, one Elijah. Mathematically, you would say the ratio was 450 to 1. Not very good odds. Except the problem is this. It wasn't 450 to 1. It was 450 to 2. And that second one, other than Elijah, (laughs) was the God of the universe. So it essentially means, Elijah was nothing more than a conduit for the God of the universe, which totally overshadows and makes insignificant the, the number of prophets that Baal had. Now, I wonder sometimes if, churches and preachers even believe that because we don't act like that we don't act like it so he taught us to pray he told us to pray call call everybody together i want you to have a sacred assembly i want people to pray what i want them to pray this is what i want them to pray and i want them to pray this until something happens Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord. Give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Then. I love that word, then. When I read was reading through this, and I saw that that was warfare, and then I read the first word of the next verse, I went, Oh, Jesus, let it be so if the church would just come together in the Spirit and somehow pray this prayer, and don't say, well, that's Old Testament, because we go down, and I'm going to show you in just a moment, that the finalization of the fulfillment of the promises of those who prayed this prayer was outpouring of the Holy Ghost. You can't say that's Old Testament. Because the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost was the beginning of the New Testament. So all of this was intended by God to be a preparation for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and the manifestation of the Holy Ghost in the earth. The first time the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost, we have no record that it was poured out any place other than Jerusalem. Isn't it time for there to be a true Worldwide outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and I know I've heard it, and I thank God for every single individual to receive the Holy Ghost any place, any time. But one person getting the Holy Ghost in a nation of ten million, or twenty million, or fifty million, is not exactly fulfillment of the Scripture. And if it is, your God is so small, you must be looking down your nose at Him. Excuse the terminology. That's not how I felt about it. I toned it down. So the bottom line is this. He called us to do this, and this is what He promised. If the church would gather in the Spirit and pray what he told us to pray, this is what he said he would do. Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. Now again, these promises were written from a natural perspective. But the application is spiritual. And the proof of that is Joel 2.28. It says, and it shall come to pass afterward. After what? After we pray what he's told us to pray. And he begins to do the blessings that he promised he would do. Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Verse 18. Verse 19. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people. The Lord will answer what? He will answer the prayer he told us to pray. This is the book of Joel. What about the prayer Jesus told us to pray in Matthew 6 and Matthew in uh, Luke 11? Does anybody sincerely pray the elements of that prayer every day? I do. And thank God for all of you out there that do. That's what we're told to pray every day. That's not a ritual. It's a responsibility. I have a responsibility as a child of God, as a recipient of the things of God, as a partaker of the divine nature. I have a responsibility not to my flesh to live after my flesh, Paul said, I have a responsibility to all of those that have not yet received what I have. I don't have what I have because I'm better than anybody. Because I'm more holy than anybody. Because I deserve this more than somebody. So everybody that has this is a debtor to everybody that doesn't. And oh God have mercy on us. If we stand before the Lord in judgment and we didn't have that attitude. I wouldn't want to be you if that's your attitude. Not in the judgment. So the point is, <laughs> then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer. Answer what? Those that are praying the prayer he specified. And, and, and uh, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith. I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. These are spiritual blessings. Corn is a harvest of souls. Wine and oil is a manifestation of the Holy Ghost both for ministry and for personal benefit. The joy of the Lord is, is the wine of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. The peace of God. All of that is, that benefits me personally. But the oil is an anointing to, 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 to save to see people saved, to see people healed. And he was going to, he promised to give us that in abundance. And you shall be satisfied where, therewith, and I will make you no more I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. How's that going to be? Because they're not going to be able to say anymore, where's your God? They're going to see where our God is manifested through his people. Verse 20. But I will remove far from you, far off from you, the northern army, and will drive him into a land barren and desolate and with the face toward the east sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea, and his stinks shall come up and his ill savour shall come up because he hath done great things. In uh, In my study of this verse, it's talking about in general terms, the enemies of Israel. Locusts always come from the south as as Israel is geographically located and the areas where locusts come from. So therefore, this northern army, it's not a a pestilence or a plague. It's the enemies of God that come against uh, the people of God and they come from the north on Israel. Well, guess what? That's speaking of the natural enemies of Israel. What about the spiritual enemies of the church? When are we going to defeat the spiritual enemies of the church? Verse 21. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit. The fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you, oh, praise God, he hath given you the former rain moderately, Former rain, two thousand years ago, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain. The first month, just the slightest bit of study will you will have to conclude that the former rain and the latter rain don't happen in the same month. So this is a supernatural thing the Lord is doing to intensify what he's going to do at the end. In the beginning, it was he gave the former rain moderately. But in the end, he's going to take all that the former rain did, the early rain does, and all the latter rain does, and he's going to put it all together. It's all going to happen in a short amount of time. This is the promise of God. To those who pray this prayer, and the floor shall be full of wheat, great harvest of souls. And the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. Previously in the, in these verses, he's, he's going to give you enough to be satisfied. But this is going to overflow, meaning it's going to be so much it's going to bless everybody that comes in contact with it. Verse verse 25, And I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the pommel worm, my great army which has sunk in among you. Another prophet said it this way. I speak to the north. Give up to the south. Keep not back to the east, to the west. N- release the sons of God, the children of God to come back to the Lord. The question is, where are we going to get all these laborers for this kind of promised harvest from God? Where are we going to get that from? When all those backsliders are already out, they're out there. They've already at one point in their life learned how to pray. They learned the word. They learned the doctrine. And for whatever reason, they backslid. And they're scattered to the north, south, east, and west. But a part of this promise is he's going to bring those backsliders back. He's going to restore them to the kingdom to join up with us who, are, who have been faithful, the elder brother and the younger brother, the check of the attitude of both, come together to be laborers in this promised end-time harvest. Man came back to our church that had been here for many years and has been gone for many years now. And he came back a couple of a month or so ago and and I looked at him and said, Hey, I'm so glad you're back. And I'm believing for others like you to come back. And I said to him, You know why that is? He says, Why? I said, Well, first of all, because I love you. Second of all, because you already know how to do everything. You know how to pray, you know how to teach Bible studies. You know what the Word of God says. You know how to worship. You know how to care for people. And he looked at me with the most solemn look on his face and said, I know how to do everything. It wasn't a statement of pride. It wasn't a statement of arrogancy. It was a confession. He realized that all he needed to do was be forgiven and restored. And he could put to, put into use all those things that he already knew how to do. Where where are all the laborers going to come from? Out there. They're out there. They're the seed of the Lord. It's going to be brought from the north, south, east, and west. In Jesus' name. Verse 26. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. Praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. The first benefit is the people of God are going to be... uh, Elevated in Him, not them, but in Him, they're going to be elevated. And all their shame's going to be taken away. In one, one scripture, I believe it's Isaiah 61, he said, For your shame, you shall have double. Well, I'll take triple or quadruple. How about you? Because I've had a lot of shame. And then he says this, verse 27. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. I, I, I had ministers and people say to me as a young man, a young preacher, Oh, don't talk about the devil. You'll get him stirred up. You'll get him angry with you. And I, I think to myself, really? So you fear the devil more than you fear God? You fear what the devil can do to you more than what God could do if you're not faithful to him? Really? Oh, and the heathens not ruling over any of the church through that? Shut your mouth, don't stir the devil up, things could get bad. I tell you what, if you're afraid of stirring the devil up, then when he visits the throne the next time, Maybe the Lord will bring your name up and stir him up against you to try to get your attention. I'm not trying to be mean. Well, I'm not called to, to be intimidated. God has not given us the spirit of fear, Paul said Second 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. God's not, or, uh, God's not given us the spirit of fear. That's the only time that Greek word, fear, is in the scripture. It's not phobos, fear, or terror. It is the word for timidity. Which is the root of intimidation. Which is shame. God has not given us the spirit of fear or timidity to be intimidated. But he's given us the spirit of power, the spirit of love, and the spirit of a saved mind. That's what he's called us to. God has called us to that. He's called us to that. He's called the the supernatural body called the church. He's called the church to that. That's what he's called us to. Now, you know, I I know, I know, I know. The scripture says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the church. And then later, two verses later, Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the church. Well, some of you might now, right now, maybe say, wait, wait, that's not what it says. That's what we practice and believe. You're right, it doesn't say that. That's what we practice. That's what we believe. So guess what? It's not good enough to be in the church. In the church. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter into the kingdom of God. Paul, John the Baptist, Jesus, and the apostles all preach the gospel of the kingdom. We preach the gospel of the church. Come to church. Come to church. Come to church. Paul, Paul clearly stated in Acts 26, in his testimony, that what what, what that the, the voice speaking to him on the road to Damascus said didn't t- tell him he was being put in the church. That's a given. He was being put in the kingdom of God to be in conflict with the kingdom of darkness over souls being saved. But does most of the church act like they believe that? Nah. Nah. Tomorrow people that call themselves of the church and the, even those many of the true church will get together tomorrow and we'll go through our little ritual, our little liturgy, And we'll just, you know, we'll do what we always do and we'll feel good and we'll have good church and we'll go home and nothing eternal will be done. And we will condemn ourselves by our smug satisfaction over how good a church was. Because we don't care about the lost. Oh, I know, I know, I can hear you right now. That's not fair. That's not right. Really? Then don't tell me you care. Show me you care. More importantly... I'm not your judge. Don't tell God you care. Show him you care. Because if you're not showing him you care, he doesn't believe you care. I was uh, studying, preparing for Call to War 2013, and I was, I was trying to really understand warfare in the Scripture, and and try to learn from war, the examples of warfare. I mean, the the Bible calls the Lord the Lord of hosts, and the word Lord of hosts is literally the Lord of armies, the Lord of heaven's armies. So the angels of heaven, God's angels in heaven, are actually referred to as armies. For what? Uh, you know, you usually have armies to fight, to win victories, and to exercise dominion so you can have government. That's usually what angels are for, and so I was trying to understand various wars, and I was going back and and I was looking again at the promise that uh, that Jesus said when the church was established that you know the, the, the gates of hell won't prevail against you, and I went back to I went back to uh, 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 Genesis twelve and Genesis twenty two, God's promises to Abraham, and God told Abraham that his seed would possess the gates of his enemies. Kind of sounded like. Matthew 16, 18, doesn't it? A little bit. And then that wasn't far enough back. I went all the way back to Genesis 3 where the first time war is mentioned. And he said to the serpent after he is cursing the ground and he's cursing all of that, he said to the serpent, you're going to crawl on your belly from now on and you will bruise the woman's seeds heel, but he will bruise your head. And there's a parallel to that. It's Romans 16 and 20. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your your feet shortly. Not under his feet. The only feet God's got today is the feet of his body. His feet. Your feet. My feet. The church's feet. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. So at the cross and everybody that's a benefit been benefited by the cross we are called to participate with the God of peace in bruising Satan's head that's what we're called to do but I was studying and the Lord said uh, if you want to understand the future you've got to understand the past well I was already in the beginning of Genesis and I said to him well how far back are we talking about and he said to me well how far back do you want to understand And I said, are you challenging me? He didn't say anything. I said, okay. Who are you? And where did you come from? Is that far enough back for you? And immediately, he paraphrased Psalms 90 and verse 2 to me. From everlasting to everlasting, I am God. Well, that just, all of a sudden, I, I, I saw him in a, in a light I've never seen him in before. And I realized that every explanation that I've ever given to anyone about God so significantly limited God. And then I began to realize, or I didn't realize it, I wasn't figuring it out, the Lord was showing me, that my prayers limit God. How many of us that our believers pray as if we're trying to talk God into doing something He doesn't want to do? How many of us pray as if we have to persuade God that we've got to get Him to feel sorry for us? Really? Really? It would be like, your child coming to you as your father, a father and begging you for food to eat. And you'd go, what's your problem? There's a refrigerator. There's stuff in the cabinets. What's the problem? I've already provided it. Go receive it. But no, they're begging as if it was the child's responsibility to convince this hard-hearted dad to give him food. And so many of God's people, that's their approach in prayer. We not only limit God, we insult him. He said, don't pray toward me like the heathen do with their vain repetition. That's the way the heathen pray to their gods of wood and stone. But that's what we do, don't we? what we do so I said okay so you're this you're from before the beginning and after the ending and I'm, I'm trying to understand this and I and I realized at that point or I can't, he explained to me at that point well you know he's infinite and so for two years now three years almost I've been talking about him as the infinite God but just a few days ago in prayer it just hit me even calling him the infinite God is limiting him It limits Him. Because, I don't know how other people define infinite, but this is the way I've defined it. He is at every place and every time present simultaneously. Wait a minute. I just defined the unlimited God by time and space? True. He's at every time and space simultaneously. But He's bigger than time and space. Time and space were created. God wasn't created. He's the creator. I I repented and I said, Father, it is true that you're infinite, but that's not that's limited. That's not the whole story of who you are. Who are you? And he said, I what is how do I explain you unlimited, Father? He said, I am. And when you study that out, that unspeakable tetragram, we would say J-H-V-H. In the Hebrew, it would be Y-H-W-H. He gave us a word that we could not speak so that we would not limit Him. And He simply equated that statement to I am, or according to the Hebrew dictionaries, the self-existent one. In other words... He truly is unlimited. No beginning, no ending, no way to measure Him. Everything that exists is in Him. He's in it, but everything that exists is in Him. I got a question. How then can spiritual warfare be a fair fight to those that believe that? Because you see, really, in honesty, if you have that revelation... It's not a fight at all. God made Adam. Gave him dominion over the earth. Adam sinned. For all the motives that Lucifer had in trying to get Adam to sin, he got the prize. Man's sin forfeited the dominion, the authority to rule the earth. That's where the prince of darkness, the god of this world, got the authority from. So, if God gave man that authority, and man gave it up by sin, redeem man is supposed to be the conduit for taking that back. We're not doing that. I'm not t- talking about taking it back to rural governments. God bl- bless all of those that are doing government work. I pray they're doing it righteously because I have no interest in it, and the church should have no interest in it. We're not ruling governments. We don't want to rule institutions, blah, blah. No, no, no. We want to have supernatural dominion in the earth to preach the gospel so that every soul would have a fair opportunity, a just opportunity to be saved without the influence of the adversary blinding their minds. And that's what Paul said he does. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse three. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So, Paul was told in Acts 26, uh, Paul was told in Acts 26, that he was supposed to pray for people, so that they could be turned from darkness to light, From the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. That's our mission. That's our goal. That's our commission. But my question is, is that really what the church is focused on doing today? Oh, we're just trying to build a crowd so we can compete with other churches. Is that really it? We're just trying to build bigger buildings so we can attract more crowd. It's not about crowd. It's not about building churches. He's the church builder. Our commission is not to build a church. Our commission is preach the gospel to every creature. He didn't say save everybody. He said preach the gospel to every creature. That's our commission. Well, here's the promise. Okay. He said, remember the last thing he said. I'm reading to you again. The last thing he said as a result of that prayer is this. And you shall know that I am in the midst of the Israel and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. The I am is in the midst of His people. The I am is the Lord our God. The I am. In fact, at its most simple, literal form, the name Jesus literally means, I am saves. Not Jehovah saves. The Lord never used the word Jehovah. The word Jehovah is those four Consonants without vowels and, 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 uh, people added the vowels from the Hebrew word Adonai to those four consonants so they could sp- say a name that is not even his name. He never called himself Jehovah. He said his name was English JHVH, Hebrew YHWH, which means the I am. And so therefore, Jesus isn't Jehovah saves. Jesus is, I am saves. So when I speak the name of Jesus, I'm confessing that the I am, who is bigger than everything, who's before the beginning, after the ending, and that everything is in him, he saves. And when I speak that name, that's exactly what I'm saying. The I am is our Savior. The I am is our Savior. And here it is. Verse 28, after we prayed that prayer and God's done all of this, he promised, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. I don't want to go into this very long today. I've already been going a, a, a little while. Uh, but I will in the future briefings. I'm going to have a, a briefing on July 9th, July 30th, and August 27th. Maybe more to come after that, but the next briefings will be on those days. It's on the, the, the screen. Uh, it should be on the screen as you're watching at some point during this, and also it will be on the website and also on Facebook and Twitter. Future briefings July 9, 30, and 20, August twenty seven. In those future briefings, I want to go into more of the the scriptural basis for all of this, but today I'm trying to introduce the subject. So, I, I was praying about this, and all of a sudden the Lord the Lord said to me, I have never called you or instructed you to ask those that were participating in call to war to prepare themselves in advance. And I said, Lord, I no, you haven't. I haven't felt any direction from you to do that, and I wasn't going to do it on my own. He said, But I'm doing it now. And I said, okay, what is that direction? He said, I want the solemn assembly prepared for through Daniel's 21 days to victory. Again, I don't have time to go into all the details of this now. i will cover it in one of the future briefings. But very, very briefly, and again, I am prepared to prove this scripturally and historically. But the prayer of Daniel 9 and the prayer of Daniel 10 are the same exact prayer and situation from two different perspectives. Daniel 9 is from Daniel's perspective. Daniel 10 is from the angel, the messenger of God's perspective. You put the two of them together, you've got one incident or one situation. And here's the point. Daniel didn't have a visitation of God say you need to pray 21 days. That wasn't it. The Bible says, he was reading the book of Jeremiah, and saw that Jeremiah prophesied that Israel was only going to be in bondage in Egypt for 70 years. And he saw that those 70 years were almost expired. So his faith in the Word, revealing timing, caused him to begin to pray and repent for for Israel so God could forgive Israel and restore them to their promised place. He didn't call it spiritual warfare. In fact, the angel revealed to him what was going on in the spirit in chapter 10, what was going on in the spirit while he prayed in chapter 9. Chapter 9 tells you the things that Daniel prayed. He repented for the people of God. God is calling us to repent for the church. Oh, I can hear it now. Screams and hollers. The church doesn't need to repent. Really? Okay. So, the church, nobody in the church have committed these sins. My people have forgotten me days without number. Church doesn't need to repent for that. So we go through the motions of prayer. We say our verbiage, our hallelujahs, our hail Marys, (laughs) our Our Fathers, our thank you Jesuses. And He does what in response to that? How does He answer those prayers? Oh yeah, yeah, I know, I know. We Pentecostals, Apostolics, we we pray. Yeah, we pray sincerely. Oh, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I want to make sure I'm saved today. And here's my list of things I need you to fix today. And I'm busy, so I won't be able to itemize them all today. But you you know what they are. I know your word says you know what I need. And so, therefore, I need you to take care of this today. I want to see how you're doing. How much do you love me, Father? Take care of all this for me. Really, really, that's prayer. He said, my people have forgotten me days without number. There's no relationship any of that. That's the first and foremost thing for redemption and reconciliation. God and Adam had a relationship. Sin breached that relationship. And man lost that relationship with God. So the first and foremost purpose of salvation is to restore us individually to in relationship with Jesus. So are we practicing or participating in the benefits of salvation or, and the purpose of salvation for us personally, which is true relationship with the Father? I mean, Adam and God fellowshiped every day, all day long, indirectly, and very specifically kind of face-to-face at least once a day. Do we do that? If we don't, don't you think we need to repent individually and as a church? Oh, how about the prayer Jesus prayed in Luke 17? You know, the church started off as one church, one body. And Jesus foreseeing what would happen prayed for the church that they might be one. So you mean we don't have anything to repent of as people who name the name of Christ that we're all in these little uh, 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 organizations and little cliques It's all been separated out. We claim by doctrine, but most of it is by power-hungry people or people with with agendas that are not scriptural. Like the dividing of the apostolic revival in the thirties and the forties over racial grounds, among other things. So we have nothing to repent for. The body of Christ is divided so much in the earth <laughs> it it, 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 it we, we don't even know who all's in the body. We don't even know what all is the body. And we don't have anything to repent for? If we're satisfied with the body of Christ being so divided. And again, He gave us specific instructions that are our responsibility to pray every day for His name to be manifest in the earth, for His kingdom of God, His kingdom to come in manifestation in the earth, for His will that's in heaven to be loosed in the earth through His conduits. For the king for for the provision of the of the kingdom and the and the battle to be supplied the supply lands be, to be protected that the grace of God the spirit of God the word of God would reveal whatever grudges we've got in our hearts so that we can remove every advantage that that we would be giving to the adversary that we would the spirit of God the fear of the fear of the lord would convict us of our sins and that he would give us the the spirit of repentance so that we could be forgiven. And that the grace of God would enable us to die out to our flesh so that we wouldn't be subject to the lust of the flesh so that those the, the lust of the flesh couldn't lead us into temptation to sin. And that we would exercise authority over the kingdom of darkness so that we're not only delivered from the evil one, but He is delivered into our hands. So that we can bind his kings with chains and his princes with fetters of iron. Which is the heritage of the saints of the Lord. And the motive check prayer. That we make sure that all that we do and everything we pray is for his power, his glory. For his kingdom. For, his, for him and not for us. Do we pray that? Do we pray his per- specific prayer request? thrust out labors into your harvest father whatever it takes do we pray that so are we praying his prayer request not much so we have nothing to repent over and i'm not going to go into more you don't think the church has anything to repent for when when we let people sit on our seats and believe they're saved and they don't care anything about the lost because we want their money, need their money in our minds? We have nothing to repent over. So Daniel repented for the for the people of God. And he was so urgent for the need that he fasted, and we call it a Daniel fast. <laughs> he went without uh, meat and pleasant bread and strong drink. Uh, he didn't plan to go 21 days. he just prayed he wanted to pray till he got an answer. well according to chapter 10 or chapter nine an angel showed up chapter 10 gives the angel perspective and he said to Daniel, from the day you started praying, God heard you but you've been but your answer has been resisted. even Michael, your warrior princes showed up to fight for you." Daniel didn't know he was fighting spiritual warfare. He was just trying to pray for the church so the church could... Uh, the, the, the church, the spiritual Israel, Israel, so they could be forgiven and restored to their place in the promised land. We need to pray that the church be restored to its place in the kingdom of God as the conduits of God in the earth. We need to repent. But in that preparation... And that 21 days of fasting, there is victory. It is preparation. And I'm asking those that will participate, however you choose to participate, that we fast from October the 4th to October 24th. You can do a Daniel fast one day. You can eat one meal uh, for the day the next day. You can go with just uh, without food and drink whatever you feel to drink the next day. You can go without anything the next day or any combination of that or what, however you feel. As an individual or as the church, as the pastor leads the church, however you choose to fast for that 21 days. And please, a media fast is not enough there. But for those 21 days where you are, you You yourself, your church, you're going to pray. You're going to repent for the church. If you've been sitting and running the same number for months and years and it doesn't bother you, there needs to be some repenting going on. Daniel's repentance and getting right with God allowed God to come behind him in the spirit world and defeat those things that were defeating him. Because when the solemn assembly begins on the night of the 24th of October, we're not going to be praying for ourselves. We're going to be praying for the kingdom, for the lost of this world, for victory. We're going to be praying the prayer that the Lord gave us for his name to be manifested to the earth. For his kingdom to come in manifestation of the earth. Jesus said, if I cast out devils by the, by the finger of the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. When the kingdom of God is manifested, according to Paul, it's in demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God. So that people's faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The kingdom of God needs to come. The will of God. And in this context, we're talking about the logos of God. The logos, the plan, the purpose, the will, the wisdom of God, as it's already in existence and determined in heaven, needs a conduit, need conduits to be loosed and spoken into the earth. Jesus said that. Well, how often am I supposed to do that? He said, next part of that said, give us this day our daily bread. So if I'm praying every day for my daily bread, shouldn't, doesn't that imply I should be praying every day for the name of Jesus, for the kingdom, for the will of God? And after the bread, then I'm praying for my own protection as a warrior so that all the doors that the adversary could use to defeat me are closed every day. It's my responsibility. It's not my ritual. It's not vain repetition. I'm not. I don't pray the exact same words every day. Some days it takes hours to pray all of that, as the Spirit leads. Some days I have to pray it in an hour or less. But it's as the Lord leads. That's the point. So here's here's what the Lord showed me when He gave me this direction. He showed me that we can have. An around the world prayer chain by time zone. On the website apostoliciron.com or you can go to call to the number two war.com. They bring you to the same place. There is a place where you can sign up and commit in your time zone that you will participate in your time zone. What we're asking is that people participate from 7 to 10 p.m. as many nights that week as you possibly can. Some people are going to feel led to come here for Call to War. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Others are going to feel to have the, the call to war projected in their building and pray there. You say, how can we do that in a different time zone? Because on Livestream.com, where this will be streamed, all you have to do is pause the recording, or if our session's already over, you can start the recording at your time zone, and you can pray with us if you want to, because most of that period of time is going to be directed prayer. Or you don't have you don't have to do either one of those. You don't have to come to Annapolis for Call of War. You don't have to tune in to Call of War. You're just committing that between seven and ten p.m. in your time zone you're going to be praying the prayer of the solemn assembly in Joel chapter 2 as God directs you. If if you're not going to follow the direction uh, uh, of the spirit that's coming from here, which is fine, then someone is going to need to, have to direct that at, at least a portion of that three hours every day. We're also asking, and this is secondary, that as many as possible will be involved in prayer from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., in your time zone. That's the morning and the evening sacrifice. So we're going to pray from the beginning of one to the end of the other. From 9 to 3 p.m. During the day. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Possibly Saturday also. And uh, and it, it, if you we, we say, well, I've got meetings. I've got things. Okay. Just because you can't do some days. Doesn't mean you don't sign up. If you can participate... Let us know that we're looking for people to join us in every time zone in the earth and that we're going to pray this prayer as a prayer chain because each of us is praying from seven to 10 or the majority of that, or there will be people in your group praying by seven and still someone praying by 10 in your time zone throughout the world, which creates a prayer chain and from around the world, God will hear. In the spirit world, the people of God praying the prayer he instructed us to pray for warfare for the people of God to become all they're supposed to be in the earth so that he can work through us. I read this statement uh, actually this morning. It said, what human repentance makes possible, divine grace is to accomplish. We have to repent. And repentance then positions us where God can give us what He promised. But we don't have to produce the promise. We just have to be positioned by repentance to be conduits for our part of it. It is the grace of God that will accomplish the promise, not us. Not man's programs, not man's abilities, not man's resources. It will be God Himself that will do it. But He cannot do it through a church that has not repented so what human repentance makes possible divine grace is and and will accomplish is to and will accomplish in Jesus name so we're asking you we I'm asking you please please pray about it. ask ask the lord if you're supposed to be a part of this at all if you don't want to put your name on, on the website, fine. Uh, during the 21 days, I'm expecting to have something. God give me something that I'm going to send out by email to all that signed up to, for that prayer. And something maybe for that day specifically gives for prayer for that day or whatever it is. This is a beautiful thing to me. Again, Daniel didn't even know he was praying spiritual warfare. He didn't know it. He was so intent on praying and repenting for the people of God so that they could have their place in God restored as Jeremiah had prophesied. He didn't realize that for God to do that, warfare had to take place. So there's been a lot of warfare that's taken place over the years that people didn't know they were warring. They were just seeking God. The old-timers called it, they prayed until they prayed through, or they would pray until there was a breakthrough. Breakthrough what? They didn't ever define that. They didn't have to. Because like Daniel, they prayed, and they prayed earnestly, and God did something. But in our day, we know, What warfare is. We know. We understand what scriptures are. We understand what Paul was talking about. In in Ephesians chapter 6. We understand what Jesus was talking about. About treading on serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy. We understand what it means. That the God of peace is going to. bruise Satan under your feet shortly. We understand that. He has taught our hands to war. And then given us a call to war. Called Matthew chapter 6. The Lord's Prayer. No. It's the Lord's call to war prayer. That's what He has given us to do. He's called us to do that every day. We are conduits to, to, to be the, we are called to be the conduits for His name, His kingdom, His will, His word, His spirit, His blood into the earth. We are called to pray those things into the atmosphere. I was, uh, I was praying the other day and I, I was thinking about this, you know, okay, Lord, you're, you're having me speak these things. How are they going to be done? And he said, you really never have understood how my logos works. Have you? Said, Obviously not. He said, speaking my logos, which is then called rhema, if I'm speaking logos by the empowerment and direction and at the direction of the spirit, that makes it rhema. But when you speak logos, the spoken logos then becomes that which performs what it is. The word, when it's spoken and released, the Bible says he sent his word and healed them. He didn't say be healed. The word spoken, be healed, went and the word became that which did the work. So if God can find those of us who will speak the word into this atmosphere, into this dominion that is currently ruled by the prince of the power of the air, according to Jesus, and the God of this world, according to Paul, if we can speak the word of God, the name of Jesus, the kingdom of God, the will of God, the power of God, the authority of God, into this atmosphere, it will do the work. We're called to do the speaking. God will do the work if we will do that. The Lord said it this way. He said, The generation that sees these things begin to come to pass shall not pass away till all these things are fulfilled. That's not that's a paraphrase from Matthew twenty four, thirty two through thirty four, and Luke twenty one, twenty nine through thirty two. It's easy to look up. But the generation that sees these things begin to come to pass is not going to pass away till all is fulfilled. I was born in 1946. The fig tree budded in May of 1948. For the first time in almost 1900 years, there was an Israel. The fig tree budded. I was born two years before that began. It says... The generation that sees these things come to pass shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. I just turned 70. How much longer does my generation have for the Lord to fulfill all He's promised? uh, Daniel saw what Jeremiah said about the timing. This is timing. The Lord said that we were going to be hated for all men for His namesake. My wife and I have been in this city for 45 years. I was 24. She was 19. There was no, no apostolics here that we knew of when we got here. We started with just the two of us 45-plus years ago, 46 years in September. Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> Even after all these years of being here, we could probably drive a half-mile up here to Safeway interview the people walking those aisles and I guarantee you 50% or more of them would have never even heard the name Antioch. They wouldn't even be able to spell the word apostolic. How can they hate what they don't even know exists? Which is the case in 99.999% of every church in every town, city, and village in this world. Now, okay, if the village is small enough, they more might know of you. But the bigger the place gets, the less it knows. So what is it that's going to happen that's going to cause every man, woman, and child in this world to have to consider whether they agree with or disagree, approve of or disapprove of, love, believe in, or reject, and don't believe in the name of Jesus? What? Something's got to happen. So are we just supposed to sit back, get get in our recliner, get us some iced tea to drink, just wait for the Lord to do that? Or are we supposed to do what the Lord called Daniel to do, what what the Lord told the people of God through Joel to do? Are we supposed to, to let His Spirit position us so that we can participate in the fulfillment of those things? That's what I believe. That's what I believe. Is what I believe. This is the direction the Lord has given me. I told him this morning. I said, Father, this I didn't initiate this. I didn't ask for this. You gave me this. I can't make this happen. All I can do is speak your word, and what you do with it is up to you. I will pray and speak your word, but what happens then is up to you. I'm asking you, please, to, to pray about, consider. Uh, I'm asking you to consider participating. It's October, and I I know I've got friends that have already told me, well, I've got things, i I got this to do and that to do. That's fine, but it's a whole week. If you can't pray 7 to 10, you can't find any time during that day, each of those days to pray. And surely there are churches that are able to join in prayer, whether they join online or not. But all I'm asking you to do is, if you're willing, is to go to apostoliciron.com or call the number two war.com and just sign up and let us know what time zone you're gonna be in. And, and I'm asking you for your email address and I promise you the only reason, the only thing we'll do with that email is I will communicate with you specifically about Call to War. I'm gonna be sending out those, direct, those directives uh, Ideas thoughts of things to pray for as the Lord gives me during the 21 days Etc. And I'll keep you posted on all the other things that are happening. Uh, I Pray That the Spirit of the Lord has borne witness with your spirit and as you pray about this He will further confirm to you that this is him. and It's not a man that this is him It's not an organization or a group of people that this is him and that if he can get his people to pray he can fulfill his promises. He cannot fulfill his promises to and through a prayerless people. He can't do it. But it's not just putting in time praying that counts. It's participatory prayer in his promises, prayers that participate in his promises, prayers that participate in his directives, prayers that participate in his kingdom, prayers that participate in his purpose. Those are the prayers he gives credence too. That's what he's promised to do for us. I'm asking you to do that. I'm asking you to do that. Uh, Again, the next briefing will be on July the 9th at 10 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Father, I thank you so very much for this opportunity. I thank you for every person that takes the time that's watched this live and those that will watch it archived. I. I loose the Spirit of God and the Word of God to bear witness with their minds, their hearts, their souls, their spirits. I I pray, Father, that you would give them the direction you would have for them to participate in whatever manner that you choose for them to participate so that the body can come together in prayer. If the body of Christ can't be unified in anything else father surely the body of Christ can be unified in prayer surely we can find a place and a way to be unified in prayer father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ speak to us deal with us help us in Jesus name in Jesus name I bind every spirit of darkness every spirit of religious tradition every spirit of strife every spirit of politics every spirit of envy jealousy every spirit of contention and command you to loose the body of Christ I loose the spirit of light the spirit of God's love the spirit of unity the spirit of power upon every one of us Father that your spirit would draw us together as one in the spirit and that we would be able to participate with you in the way that you would have us to do so in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ it is so and let it be so In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very, very much for your time. God bless you.